thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the way you work in us and through us. Not only through Ashley as she travels, but through each of us as we spend our summers, our days. God, wherever we go, we know that we are the aroma of Christ. And to some, it's a stench. They don't want to hear about you, Lord. But to many, it's the aroma of salvation, of, of hope, of grace, of new life. And so I pray that, God, even today as we go through your word, that you would stir in us the kingdom, that we would live for you, that our hearts and our minds would be fixed on you, set on you, and that, God, you would prepare for us good deeds, good places that bring testimony, that your word would go out in power through our lives. So let us receive it in power today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's July 1st. It's kind of a 4th of July weekend, so i got a little 4th of July theme going on here. Um, and I want to read from you the Declaration of Independence. I don't think we read these things very often or visit them. I had one in my office. It was an original, and I can't find it. So if I find it, I'll bring it in. I'll pass it around like I did the softball. But I, I yeah, softball is still present. I'd have been better off with a beach ball on that, wouldn't I? Anyways, but the context, as you know, in the American formation was that America was colonized by a foreign country, right? So the British, in their expansion of their empire, right, they began sending colonists to America. America was very rich in natural resources, very vast, we know, and we love our country. But what they were doing is they were forming a new civilization, and so everybody was British, right? Except for the native peoples of our land. Except for the other nations also trying to colonize. And so there was this battle over who would possess the land. And the reality of the American colonies, the American experiment, was that as our 13 original colonies were trying to live life and do life, there was a foreign king, a not ungracious, un righteous tyrant, as described by the Americans, of course, was imposing his will on these colonies. King George himself, from England, he loved the colonies because it was making him rich. But there was a tax that was to be paid, a literal tax, right? So we, from our history books, remember, why did we fight the Revolutionary War? Because of what? Taxation without? Yeah. So the king was like, taxing all the thing, and he was taking all the wealth out of America, and he was using it for his other colonial exploits and to make England very wealthy. This was a protocol that they'd done many different places, many countries around the world. He also had another fact. There were standing armies in America, and so there was literally British troops. It was, during, it was a peacetime, and yet there were garrisons of British troops all throughout the colonies to maintain the king's heavy-handed rule over the colonies. And so these soldiers would exercise their military force without any accountability or very little accountability. So if a British soldier wanted to live at your house, they just kicked you out. 
It was part of the thing. That's why one of the amendments to the Constitution are, right, you can't just take over people's homes. They would also be unaccountable if they broke the law. If they murdered someone, there would be these trials, fake trials, and they were a little bit above the law. And it was a very unrighteous, very unjust treatment of these original colonists. And so the king functioned cruelly in America. There was also no law, or the laws that America needed were not being implemented. And part of it was the way England was trying to keep America off balance, is they would appeal for laws. There was no judiciary in America at that time. And so the king would, like, hear the laws. He'd kind of stall. And then when he finally called the council, it would be somewhere where the Americans couldn't go. And it was this shell game of power. And so the Americans got very frustrated, right? They started throwing tea into the harbors. They started resisting. And then at one point, it got so bad that they said enough is enough. They unified as 13 separate states, and they wrote what we now call the Declaration of Independence. Are you familiar with it? Have you heard of this document? The Declaration of Independence in Congress from July 4th, 1776, it reads as such. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, inseparable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm not here to preach on the Declaration of Independence today. But we look back at this document, and it declared something. They said when something is so wrong in the world, it's not right to just let it continue. That we must make a declaration. We are forced, and if you read the rest of it, it's a, it's a really interesting, they, they lay out the argument, here's why we're declaring our independence. And he lists all the different things, some of which I've summarized, and there were other things. But when something is so off, it cannot continue. Our founding father said, it is right and necessary to throw off that unrighteous rule and to create something that is, under the laws of nature and of nature's God, something that rightly governs people. And so there was this act of throwing off the rule of the king, the unrighteous king, and taking upon themselves a separate governance. Right? And they began to write the Constitution. We, the people of the United States of America, can you say it? In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and support the blessings of liberty, who? To ourselves and our posterity. That's not your booty, that's your children. To ordain and establish this Constitution 
of the United States of America. Welcome to civics class, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you were singing that in your head as you were saying it. But there is this, there is this thing embodied in the American experience where they saw that something so unrighteous and cruel, as they deemed the King of England to be, it must be thrown off. And something new and more perfect, not completely perfect, but more perfect, needed to take its place. And we look back at that and we celebrate it every year by blowing things up. Right? By my house, the explosions have already, they began like two days ago. And people fought hard for this and they sacrificed for it. That was penned July 4th, 1776. By September, what, 22nd, 1776, it was Nathan Hale, a 21-year-old revolutionary who was trying to spy because the British had just taken New York and he went behind enemy lines and he got caught, right? He got caught. He got turned in, they think, by his cousin who recognized him as a traitor. And he was hung. And his last words, you may recall them, Nathan Hale. There's a school named Nathan Hale just south of our church. He says, what? My only regret is that I have but one life to give for my country. Very patriotic things. And so this revolution, this throwing off of the cruel, unjust, unrighteous king, this declaration, this passion for independence, for freedom, went deeply and profoundly into the heart of our early revolutionary fathers. And much of that still lives in us today. Some become more cynical about the American experience. Some become radically, even blindly patriotic. But the bottom line is, it was born on this principle of throwing off something wrong and unjust and creating something more perfect. Hey, we're in church this morning. We're here to talk about Jesus. But I paint this picture because I want you to see that in Jesus, there is a more perfect freedom. And is birthed in God's heart and I trust and hope in your heart by this longing and desire to throw off that which is unjust and cruel and to bring forth something more perfect, to bring something perfect, the gospel says, to you. Jesus made his own declaration of freedom on behalf of us. And it was quoted, it was from Isaiah 61, and he requoted it in the New Testament to Luke chapter 4. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 4 says this. When he, Jesus, went to Nazareth, his hometown, where he'd been brought up, and this, on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as it was his custom. You know, it was Jesus' custom to go to church every week. Whoa. You should make that your custom. Not because we're into numbers and noses and nickels, as they say. No, but we're into the people of God being together, worshiping regularly. I think in our modern culture, people, if they go to church two, maybe three times a month, they're like overachieving. I'll say it again next week for the people that weren't here today. <laughs> but it was Jesus' custom to come into the house of the Lord and to worship. It says he stood up to read. He stood up to read. And the scroll from the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled it and he found the place where it was written. And this was a declaration of independence 800 years before this. And it was a declaration of independence that Jesus says is fulfilled in our hearing. 
it says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen, Jesus stood up and he proclaimed not only freedom, but also favor. Yeah. I mean, the Declaration of Independence proclaimed independence and you can pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You can pursue those things. But when Jesus declared our freedom, he says, listen, I'm proclaiming your freedom from all these things and God's favor Upon your life. To live free and in God's favor is God's purpose for you. That's the declaration. That's what Christ came to preach, to teach, to model, to die for, and to rise up again, to bring forth a church that was free and that was in God's favor. So you need to ask yourself today, am I walking in the freedom of Christ? Am I living in the favor of God? Because Christ, he declared this over us. It was our declaration of freedom, declaration of independence. Let me talk about the freedom that Christ brings, just briefly. Because freedom is important if we understand what's free and what's, you know, how does our freedom look? Some people view freedom as this privilege to do whatever you want. I am completely and totally free. That's not freedom, that's anarchy. And anarchy brings destruction because if everyone's totally free to do whatever they want, then ruin and destruction follow. But if you're free to do that which is right and good and pleasing to God, then it creates a liberty of joy, of peace, and fruitfulness. So what exactly did Jesus set us free from? Let me just bullet point a couple things. First thing, first freedom that Jesus brought was freedom from sin. We talked about the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the cross. I won't go long into this. But listen, the tyrant in the 1700s was England and King George, and their imposing of their will upon the colonies. Listen, the tyrant of your life is the devil and as sin and the consequences of sin. The Bible talks about people living under the rule of sin, that sin has dominion over people. So they say, like my friend from Haiti when I was in college doing a mission trip there, who continued to fall into sexual sin, I was like, Jocelyn, why would you continue to go back to this? And he just simply says, my body's weak. And he said it with a smile on his face and no regret or no conviction that he could live any other way. Jesus came to bring you freedom from sin, so that sin would no longer have dominion over you, that you would be set free, that you would not have to sin. What? How can we live? Sin is so prevalent. No, you've been set free from sin. Paul says, how can we live in sin any longer? Does he promise that you'll never sin? Well, no, of course not. There's still the presence of sin, but you need not be controlled by sin. You have a new master, a new savior, a new Lord, a new king. And he's not a tyrant, and he's not cruel, but he's a loving father who gives you his favor, and he sets you free from sin. Let me read you a Bible verse, just so you know I'm not making this up. Romans 6, 14, it says this, 
For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Set free from sin. What about Galatians 4, 7? So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. No longer a slave to sin, but you are now a child of God, that you belong there, that you're part of the household of heaven. There's no expectation that those who are part of the household of heaven would continue to go on sinning. That doesn't make any sense. And so you've been set free. When I was a kid, I was in junior high, I was diagnosed with uh, Osgood Schlatter's disease. Anyone know what Osgood Schlatter's disease is? Half the churches had Osgood Schlatter's disease. It must have been a common diagnosis in the 70s. Well, it, was, it wasn't like a terminal disease, but the, it was a, your knee, ligaments, and bones were malfunctioning, and I could ask Dr. Mark to come up and share with us what that really means. But what they did to me was they put, they said, here's the solution. We're going to immobilize that leg for like six weeks. Is that still what you do, six weeks? Anyway, so I had this immobilizer on. It was like hip to ankle, little Velcro strappy thing with metal rods in it. And I would walk around like this, right? But because I was like an active kid, I would like, I'd be running around in it, and I'd be like, throw me the ball. I didn't let my Oscar Schlatter slow me down. So I, I would walk around like this, but it was immobilized. And I'll never forget the, the day I got it off. Off came that thing, and I'm like, all right, I am free. I am free to run. And so I just started walking around like this. I'll never forget, I was, after school I came home, we had a little after school snack, and I was walking around, couldn't bend my leg, and I went to sit down like this. And my older brother, Tim, he's a real sensitive type. He's like, what's the matter with you, stupid? Like, I'm not stupid. He's like, you don't have a splint on your leg anymore. I'm like, I know that. Well, why are you walking around like that? I'm like, I'm not walking around like anything. I'm healed. Osgood Schlatter's. Adios. I'm like, oh, yes, I am. I was so accustomed to my leg being immobilized. I would walk around like this even after the immobilization was over. Have you ever been that way? That happened to me when they moved my office door. I had a similar experience. I've been, I've been in that office for 20 years. I walked through the outer door and I walked through my inner door. And then you moved it on me and I would walk through the outer door and then I'd be like face to face with the wall. Door's down here now, I gotta go over here to get to my office. That took like three months to reprogram the brain. Yeah. Every once in a while, I still grab a piece of paneling. I'm like, oh, that ain't right. I got to go over there. Sin is no longer your master. He's not to rule over you. You might be accustomed to it. It might be part of your nature, your old nature, to just do as your sinful desires required. But you don't have to. You can override those desires by what? Your decisions. Desires are fine if they honor God. But if your desires are your habits, if they don't desire God, they must be done away with, and you must create new ones. And you can do that. Why? Because you have a righteous king, a heavenly father, who has set you free from the slavery of sin. 2nd thing he set you free from is this. From fear. Woo! From fear. I almost quoted this verse to two people this morning. They were telling me what God's doing in their life. I'm like, that's really good. Why don't you come up and share it? And they're like, mm. 
Maybe they weren't fearful. Maybe they just don't like you. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's a bad example. But fear is a very powerful... I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I wasn't talking about Emma. I promise you I wasn't. Fear is such a powerful force in our lives. Right? It's also interpreted sometimes timidity. I'm just timid. I'm afraid. I want to speak out. I want my voice to be heard. I want to live life as I should, but I'm afraid. I'm nervous about what that would look like. I'm a little bit anxious about any consequences that might come. Well, listen, the scripture says that Jesus' proclamation set us free from fear. We need not be afraid any longer. You can live exactly as God desires you to live and not have to fear the consequences of that. As a matter of fact, you can delight in anticipation of what God will bring into your life. I heard a guy say this week that your future is very, very bright. You can even believe that the best days are ahead of you. If you live your life for the Lord all out, you need not be afraid of the consequences. I mean, how can that be, right? Because there may be consequences. These early Christians, as they were living their life, they got thrown to the lions. They got persecuted. They got their property confiscated. You know what? Outside, there was trouble, but in their hearts, there was a party. There was a party going on inside. It's like when you're, you're driving down the road and you see somebody. I saw it on the way to, to church this morning. Someone in their car just like rocking out. And literally, their arms were going out the window. And it was like, I couldn't hear any of the music. All I saw was traffic and red lights. But inside that car, there was a party going on. I'm like, that's unsafe. I'd rather they just pick up their phone and start texting. That'd be safer. But inside their car, inside their hearts, there's a party going on, no matter what's going on around you. I mean, that's why when we come to service and we're playing and there's a song you like, a song you don't like, or people you like, people you don't like, it doesn't matter what's going on around you because the whole idea of gathering together to worship the Lord is to be in this place and let the party that's going on inside your heart because Christ Jesus set you free from sin and from fear and from a lot of other things is that that party can leak out a little bit. It's okay, let it leak. Let it leak out. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely Whoa! It's starting to leak out a little bit now. But that's why, even though the circumstances of life can be dire and can be very difficult, you look at people that have lived through persecution and opposition and all that kind of stuff, inside their heart there was a party going on. And it was because Christ Jesus had declared their freedom from tyranny. Nathan Hale said, my only regret is I've got one life to give to my country. Well, how much more can we say, my only regret is that I've only got one party to throw in my heart, and I want to let it leak out all over the place. If the Spirit of God has set you free, then you are free indeed. So be free. Free. Enjoy the Lord's favor. And don't be afraid. I mean, I don't want to make you nervous, but how many people just don't want to be afraid anymore? I don't want to be afraid anymore. Listen, the proclamation of Christ is that you need not be afraid. I'll read you another Bible verse in case you think I made all that up. 
The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoptions as sonship, in sonship. And by him, by Jesus, we cry, Abba, Father. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I mean, when you were a little kid, I don't know if you were like me. When you were a little kid, you used to, like, throw yourself off dressers, off rooftops, because you knew your dad would catch you. I remember doing it. I'd be, like, standing up on, I'd get up on the counter. I'm like, hey, my dad's here. My dad wasn't even paying attention. I'm like, hey, catch me. You know, and your dad's like, whoa, one-hander behind the back. You know that's how it is. If that big, strong dad's like, hey, he can catch you. Now, when you're 14 or 15, that slows down a little bit. Right? Depending on the father. Some of you dads can catch your grown children. Many of us cannot. But it's just a metaphor. Don't take that, like, literally. Don't, like, hey, I'm going to throw myself. Okay. You're on your own. Unless you're talking about your heavenly father. Because the spirit that Jesus sent to us does not make us fearful. Slaves to fear, it says. Rather, it makes us children. Sons and daughters. By which we cry out, my daddy, my heavenly father. I love you. And he loves me. And he loves you. Free from fear. You know what else? He sets us free from grudges. Yeah. Anybody got a grudge? Grudge match. You're a grudge keeper. Return of the grudge. The grudge that never left me. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you are begrudged. The power of a grudge and unforgiveness is profound. It shapes and resets the direction of people's lives. It's amazing how a grudge can wreck your life. Have you ever had a grudge wreck your life? Have you ever had someone hold a grudge? I mean, in order to hold a grudge, you need to let go of everything else because you've got to hold on to it, right? I love how Jesus taught us to, play, to pray. Let's do it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Some of you went on autopilot. You're like, yep, I'm just repeating the words. Stop right there. Forgive us our debts. God, forgive me. My sins, my trespasses, my debts. Whether you're Catholic, Lutheran, or you don't know what you are, it all means the same thing. Forgive me for what I've done wrong, for my sins. As we, it's a joint thing. It happens at the same time together. If one happens, then the other happens. It's an if-then statement. As you've forgiven me, help me to forgive. Help me to let go of the debts. You know, what's the two great commandments? Anybody know this? Uh, yeah, it's on the wall of the church. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And the second is like it. What's that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself is a quote from Leviticus 19, maybe 17, I think 19. And Jesus quotes it. And the whole sentence is, love your neighbor as yourself and don't 
carry a grudge. Isn't that something? Love means, I forgive you, love means we don't carry grudges. And that's really not possible unless we know the freedom and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. Grudges are way too easy to keep. Hard feelings, resentments, they go deep. And they, they're powerful. They're like the, the tree roots under your septic system. Eventually they get into everything and break stuff. But Jesus will set you free from your grudges. He will set you free from the power of unforgiveness. It was once said that when you keep someone, when you, free, when you fail to forgive someone, not only do you keep them prisoner, but you keep yourself prisoner as well. Because you've got to stand outside the gate and hold the key. Drop the key, leave the door open, and get on with your life. Amen? Amen. Don't stay mad, everybody. Don't stay mad. I want to do the last thing, and then we'll be done. It's this. Freedom from prejudice. Freedom from prejudice. The New Testament is filled, filled with people from all different cultures, races, walks of life, socioeconomic situations coming together to build one new family called the church. One of the profound examples of that is the book of Philemon. Have you ever read the book of Philemon? It's super easy. It doesn't even have chapters. It's just got a couple verses. Let me read you Paul's appeal to Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy man who had helped Paul with his ministry. He'd given him money, he'd given him housing, and he'd been a real supporter of Paul and the gospel. But Philemon had a bondservant. We would call that a slave. And his slave's name was Onesimus, and Onesimus got sick of being a slave, I guess, and he ran away. The consequences for escaped slaves in the Roman world were very, very severe. Beatings, potentially even reason for killing them. Because they couldn't have slaves escaping all the time, now could they? And so they had to be cruel towards those who did not obey. And it was wretched. But the Apostle Paul, while he's in prison in Rome, meets Onesimus. Somehow Onesimus had made his way to Rome, had come in contact with one of Paul's friends, disciples, and had come to Paul, and Paul had led him to Christ. So you have this escaped slave running for his life under the threat of beatings, potentially even death sentence, has, comes to Christ with the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul starts to, he calls him his son, and then he learns Onesimus' story, like, oh my gosh, you're an escaped slave. You're in big trouble. But now you've come to Christ, and you're my son. You're my family. And then he finds out that Onesimus had run away from Philemon, Paul's friend. Paul's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Lord, what do I do? And so Paul says, we not, must make this right in the Lord. And so he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. He says, Onesimus, you've come to the Lord. You need to make this right. You have wronged Philemon. You belong to God, and now make it right. And so he says, but don't go on your own. Let me write you a letter. And he writes this letter. And you should read the letter. Read the whole thing. I don't have time for it right now. But verse 15, it says this. He's writing Paul to his friend. Perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while, <laughs> separated, he escaped, was that you might have him back forever. What? 
He was gone for a little while, but you're going to have him back forever, but it's going to be different. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And so the gospel has this incredible way. Jesus breaks the human system of master and slave. He breaks the system. He says, listen, I'm sending him back to you, not as a slave, but as a fellow man. As a fellow man. That idea of being a fellow man made in the image and the likeness of God. Loved, blessed, commissioned by the Lord to rule the earth. As a man. And as a brother. And so, could you imagine Philemon seeing Onesimus? Grab him! Hold him down! What's in your hand? There's a letter. Let me read the letter. He's not a slave any longer. He's a man, fellow man and a brother to you. And suddenly the gospel starts taking an axe, chopping away at the prejudice and the socioeconomic and the margins of society and says, wait a second. The rich and the poor are brothers. The Jews and the Gentiles are brothers. Final thought. In America, freedom was not only declared, freedom had to be defended, right, as a nation. It was many years later, 16th President of the United States, President Abraham Lincoln, on November 19th, 1865, in the midst of the Civil War, where the nation was trying to defend the integrity of these United States. Many issues, racial, social, economic, political. But at a cemetery in Pennsylvania, Gettysburg, President Abraham Lincoln just made a short speech. Here's just a segment of that short speech. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty. The idea was that we would be free, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. He goes on to say in his little speech that this current civil war is a test of whether we will maintain that freedom, not just for ourselves, but for all men who are created equal in God's eyes. Liberty was declared by Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have been anointed to declare this to you. Freedom and favor. But it must be fought for. You must continue to fight and to live for your freedom and for your favor. I love how the scriptures challenge us this way. In Galatians 1, 5, 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. What is your declaration? I'm going to pray in a minute, but I want you to form a declaration in your mind. We know the Declaration of Independence, throwing off the yoke of the king. You know the declaration that Jesus made. I've been anointed to proclaim to you good news. Freedom, sight, favor. The Bible says it's for freedom that you've been set free. Freedom from sin. Freedom from fear. 
Freedom from racism and prejudice. Freedom. What's your declaration today? Are you free? I suspect some of you are not free. You're not free from that sin that besets you. You're not living in the favor of God, and there's the party on the inside is like come down to a very dull little whisper murmur. Almost, you can't almost even hear the joy of the Lord. If there's a party going on in your heart, the neighbors should be calling the police. Turn that music down. Where's all that joy coming from? Why are you acting so free? Why are you acting highly favored and blessed? Even if the neighborhood's struggling, there's a party going on inside. What's your declaration today? I know my declaration is this. Jesus has set me free. I will be free indeed. Stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for a day like today where we celebrate this weekend our nation's freedom. We're grateful for the freedoms that we have. We know our nation is not perfect, far from it. But for the blessings we have because of this nation, we're grateful. And Lord, we commit ourselves to making this nation as great as it can be by making this place a place where the Lord is proclaimed with the testimony of the freedom and the power and the love of our Heavenly Father is made real by our lives. Help us live that way. Lord, I pray that, Lord, even the personal private declarations of each heart today would be that they're favored and that they're free and that our lives would show your favor and our lives would demonstrate that freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand.